The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I want to get into the word here. I've got a few things scrambled, and that's always tough. That's risky because when you're scrambling those things and you feel really led to move them around, you have that moment of inspiration. And then you come up here to deliver and you look at it and you think, what was I thinking, right? And, and so I want to just trust and believe that we're on the right track here, and, and I believe that we are. So as we get into the word, there's a few things that we're going to find. I like to give these things as uh, little points that you can look for throughout the message. Uh, they might be inspirational. They might uh, uh, be something that causes you to pay closer attention because maybe it uh, piques your interest for some reason, something maybe you desire in your life, and so you're looking forward to that. It just helps us stay involved. So these are things to look forward to. Uh, one of those things that we'll find early on is how a victorious God identifies himself. Now, this is an interesting thing to me because God is constantly identifying himself throughout the scripture. You can look around this room and you see these banners. Now, people have different opinions on them. Some think that it's kind of, you know, a dated decor and, thing, or decor, excuse me, and things like that. And it could be. The reality is it's a very biblical thing. Uh, whether it is trendy or not, God has constantly revealed himself in moments uh, that are powerful. And in those moments that are powerful, he's revealed a, a portion of or a part of who he is in his identity. Uh, whether it is, you know, uh, the God who uh, provides or whether it's the God who heals or the God who's present or hears, like literally listens to your cry or your prayer. These are things that God does on purpose and intentionally because he wants us to know who he is. And as God is revealing who he is, I think it's very important that we pay attention so that we can have fellowship with him uh, appropriately. We're going to find out how a victorious God identifies himself. Now, one of the reasons why this is so intriguing to me is because I need God's victory in a lot of areas of my life. And if God identifies himself a certain way and uh, in in that, that way brings victory, then that is how I want to identify with God. I want to know that portion of who he is and see that portion of who he is in and active in my life. And I think you will too. Another thing that we're going to find is what produces righteousness. What produces righteousness? Now, we could all use righteousness in, in our lives in one way, shape, or form, and there is no righteousness outside of Jesus Christ. So you get that out of the way up front. Our righteousness is the result of faith in Jesus, period. Now, with that faith in Jesus and our Christianity and our release into you know going into the world to do great things, to be in the world but not of the world now the decisions and the choices that we make either produce things that are righteous or produce things that are unrighteous and what we'll see in the scripture is what is necessary to produce righteousness this has been a part of my life since I was a, a young believer wanting to do the things that are right and so as that became a, a, a desire as that became a pursuit it became very important to know what's necessary in order to do just that. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus left you. What Jesus left you. Now, that's a little bit of a, you know, intriguing way to put it because Jesus is everywhere all the time. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about that. But there's something specific in the scripture 
that as Jesus said, I go to be with the Father, I leave this with you, it's important for us to pay attention to that. You know, Jesus really isn't high drama. He's not looking for ways to kind of make an impact on his way out, you know. Like he needs a, a real solid exit so that you don't forget how awesome he is, right? I mean, he's saying this on purpose. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going away, but I'm leaving this with you. Now, I stop and I have to ask myself, if he went out of his way to let me know that even though he's going to be with the Father, that he's going to intentionally leave something with me, I want to know what that intentional thing is so that I can value it. We're going to find that in the scripture. So I mentioned we're going to find out how a victorious God identifies himself. That was the first thing. We'll start there. If you have your Bibles, Romans 16.20. Romans 16.20. Romans 16.20 is going to reveal how God and all of his victory identifies himself so that we can value that identity, that portion of who he is. Romans 16.20, it reads like this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to kind of break it down. The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. So what we have here is we've got this revelation of something really great and powerful going on. Satan is obviously your enemy. He is your adversary. He is the one that is attempting to, to demolish and, and kill, steal, and destroy everything that's good in your life. And God is making this promise to crush him underneath your feet, not his feet, but your feet. And God is identifying how he will do this or who he is during this process. And he's identified himself as the God of peace. Now, we've used this verse in the past, and I don't mind repeating those things. I mean, I look at this verse and think there's a number of ways God could identify himself, and I wouldn't argue right? I mean, the God of warfare will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I mean, we would all just, yeah, right? Or, or the God of victory will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. Man, we would hallelujah that. Isn't it interesting that as God is identifying himself as the one that will equip you to have ultimate victory over your absolute adversary, identifies himself as the God of peace? Of is an interesting word here, and, and we do go to English class a little bit whenever we're together here because I think it's important to understand the word that makes up the word, right? Of is a possessive word. We don't really talk like that because it just sounds weird, but I mean, like, I've got my phone up here, right? You could say, hey, that's Preston's phone, right? That means that, that phone belongs to Preston. You could also say that's the phone of Preston. I mean, it doesn't sound right, but yet it still works like it's proper English. It's possessive. The idea that God is the God of peace is revealing to us that he possesses peace. And this makes perfect sense. It bears witness with the scripture because uh, peace has a source. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23 tells us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we can take that and make it like a, a Sunday school verse where we just kind of make it a cadence, kind of like you learn your ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? You learned that, but that didn't mean you could read. It just meant you knew a cadence. We can learn the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. And it doesn't mean we understand it. It just means we memorized it. But when you stop and think about this, this is saying something really important, that what the Holy Spirit produces in your life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit, in this case, is peace. 
Peace has an origin in my life. A place in which it has a source where it is produced and then released. And this also tells me without the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a real challenge to have peace. If I enter into situations or circumstances where rebellion exists or, or sin and corruption that's willfully embraced exists, it's going to be a challenge to have peace because peace is the result of or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So where the Holy Ghost is quenched, peace is going to be a challenge. When I examine my own life and I see the absence of peace, I will ask myself, have I quenched the Spirit here? Let me tell you something. Most of the time the answer is a hard yes. That's not meant to bring about shame. It's meant to bring about conviction. Like, well, what do I need to do to stop doing that? Because I'm meant to be spirit-led. Not conditionally, not when it feels right or I want to, but all the time. I mentioned that God is the God of peace, that God is going to crush Satan beneath our feet, and he's identified himself as the God of peace, the one that possesses peace. Here's kind of how that happens. Now, when I hear that, I think something like Hollywood, right? Like this summer, the God of peace will crush Satan beneath your feet, right? You think of it like a movie trailer, and then like Jesus shows up with like, you know, big weapons. Oh, you know. No. Here's how the God of peace is going to do this. Let's look at where else God <clears throat> identifies himself as the God of peace. And you'll find it here in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you're going to see God identify himself again as the God of peace. The one that brings ultimate victory over your absolute adversary is identifying himself once again as the same, the God of peace. Here's how he's going to bring that victory. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That's how it's going to happen. He's going to sanctify you. Now, if we don't understand that word, it just becomes a poetic mystery, right? It just sounds like something Christian that we want. To sanctify means to, to set apart, to be made different. You have been set apart. You have been sanctified. That is what Christianity is. You are in the world, but no longer of the world. Old things pass away. New things come it's the reason why he would put his spirit in you and that he would renew and soften your heart and make new your mind. That process is sanctification, to be set apart. Now, I want to finish this passage. Now, may the God of peace, remember, he's identifying himself again as the God of peace, sanctify you entirely. Now we start to see what entirely is. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved and complete without blame upon the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This work, this sanctifying work that God is doing is in my spirit, man. It's also in my soul or my mind. And it's also in my body, that physical flesh that stands before you today. This is where God is working. Now, I can cooperate in all of these areas or I can resist in all of these areas. And it's a really important thing to take a passage of Scripture like this and take it into your prayer closet and say, Father, I want to know every way in which you are sanctifying me. You are my loving Father. Will you show me and teach me how you're sanctifying me in my spirit? Will you show me how you're sanctifying me in my soul or my mind? And will you show me how you are sanctifying me in my body so that I can cooperate with these things and not resist? And so that I might know you 
And the work that you bring into my life is the God of peace that brings absolute victory over my adversary. This is God's covenant with you. I'll give you a passage of scripture for that. God's covenant with you is a really important thing to understand because it's really his promise, right? It's not just something that happened, kind of like people like to explain the existence of the world as this kind of cosmic accident or big bang, right? We tend to like to just think things just kind of happen some way because then we don't have to be accountable to some authority. Well, that's garbage. I got news for you. There is a maker of heaven and earth. There is one who loves you and you will give account to him. And as we examine these things that he's doing in our life, it's important to know and understand that these things are intentional and on purpose. His work of peace is not just something that happened. Rather, he intentionally imparted it as his promise to you. A good way to say that in church would be to say God's covenant is peace. His promise to you is peace. Here's a passage of scripture for you to take on that, Isaiah 54.10. And if you're taking notes, Isaiah 54.10, it talks about things very earthly. It talks about the mountains and the hills and the rocks. It talks about all those things failing. Basically, it says the world comes to a collapsing end, right? The mountains may be removed and the hills shake, but the loving kindness of God will not be removed from you and his covenant of peace will not be shaken. I know I've said this before in the past, and, you know, when you only live so long, you only have so many stories, but I can tell you one of the most helpless moments in my life was an earthquake. I grew up in Tornado Alley, right? So you would turn on the TV, and you'd see, oh, we're going to have weather tonight. And they can even call it, right? It's like a sport. It's kind of like the Cowboys are playing today. You know, it's like tornadoes tonight. You going to watch? Yeah, me too. Yeah. And people would. They'd go outside. you see everybody in their front yard. You see it? No, 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 no. Over there, we drive around and look for them, right? And the crazy thing about weather like that is you can, you can leave it. You can, you can drive away from it. For some reason, even though it seems daunting and intimidating, it, it, it has this, there's this element that you can distance yourself from it. I've never felt more helpless in my life than in an earthquake because there's nowhere you can go. Unless you can levitate, you're stuck. And I remember the first time I ever felt one. I, I, it was a, a moment I remember sitting. I was actually in a car, and I remember one that was in the house. And the one that was in the house was a big one. But I remember being in the car, and I thought, my engine blew up. I thought, well, the car's toast. And I realized, no, the car's still running fine. What was that? But you just hear this. It's kind of like that. And there's nowhere to hide. I think that's a really interesting thing that when we're talking about God's covenant of peace not being able to be shaken, it's compared to an earthquake. It's compared to this, where are you going to go now? There's nowhere to run from this. If the ground beneath your feet gives way, you're toast. But even should the ground beneath your feet give way, God's covenant of peace will remain solid. It's a wonderful promise. And think about that. Any word could have been used there that we affiliate with God. You could put God's covenant of love. No one would stand up and walk out if that's what it said. His covenant of joy. No one would be like, well, that's garbage. I'm out. But intentionally and on purpose with the intention of you hearing it right here this morning, what's been promised to you, even if the ground beneath your feet were to fall out from under you, God's covenant of peace won't be removed from you tells you how much he values peace. 
It also tells me how much I should value peace. And here's why it's so valuable. I mean, I've mentioned to you before we're going to find a few things, and we will, but you'll find something here that wasn't promised to you, but yet is a really interesting thing. Peace makes up God's kingdom. If you look at the things that make up God's kingdom, I'll give you a passage of scripture, Romans 14, 17. You'll see three things that make up the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It'll tell you, you know, one of the reasons why peace is such a valuable thing. Because if you take peace away, you, you lose a piece of, no pun intended, God's kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus came to bring when he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, righteousness, peace, and joy is at hand. It's necessary to do what's right. I mentioned to you before when we were going to find like our teasers, the thing that we're going to look forward to, you know, what what produces righteousness. Listen to this passage of scripture, and I think it'll help introduce a new understanding to prioritize peace, and maybe even a new understanding of why peace is always under attack. I don't think anyone in this room would argue that. In your life, do you feel like your peace is under attack? Here's the passage of scripture for you. James chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, it reads a little poetic, but I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll identify it. And it's a passage that we've used before, but I want to read it again today. The seed whose fruit is righteousness, that means the thing that produces righteousness, will be sown in peace by those who make peace. It sounds a little bit like a, you know some kind of proverb that you have to figure out, and, and sometimes passages of scripture are real cut and dry and I like it when they're that way I don't really like to stop and have to think about something this is one that I want to stop and think about because I'm afraid if we don't we might miss something the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace is basically saying if whatever you're doing is going to produce what's right you're going to do it in peace that means you're never going to produce what's right in anger you're never going to produce what's right in rage You're never going to produce what's right in wrath. You're never going to produce what's right in vengeance. You're never going to produce what's right out of hurt or wound or out of anxiety or fear or out of any corrupt thing. You will only produce what's right when you are acting out of peace. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now I see why peace is so important. Now I see why peace is under attack. What a great strategy for your enemy. I can keep you from producing what's right if I can take away your peace. If I can touch your peace, if I can keep you angry, if I can keep you bitter, if I can keep you resentful, if I can keep you hurt and wounded, if I can keep you anxious, if I can take away your peace, I can keep you from doing what's righteous. Even if you do what's right. Interesting. Because peace is a motivation. It's a drive. The idea that we can carry something that is filled with, with what God is in bringing into our life through Jesus Christ and his kingdom, that which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, the idea that we are carriers of those things is something that is incredibly powerful. And for that to be derailed is to derail the will of God. I'll give you another passage of scripture here concerning peace and righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17, the work of righteousness will be peace. 
Now, we take that and we can read it really verbatim and it can get kind of lost. We don't really talk like that. But let's just break it down and maybe simplify it into more you know, common terms. And let's just say, uh, doing what's right will always be done in peace. Always. Uh, peace is never accidental. It's pursued. You'll see that throughout the scripture. I'm going to give you a list of scriptures here for your notes. I'm not going to read them all in detail. Hebrews 12:14, Romans 14:19, 1 Peter 3:11 and 12, uh, Psalm 34:14. All of these things talk about peace being pursued. They read kind of like this: Pursue peace with all men. Pursue the things that make for peace. Seek peace and pursue it. And there's a promise attached to this one. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. For your notes' sake, that one was 1 Peter 3, 11 and 12. I'm sure that many of you want God's eyes attentive to what's going on in your life. And you want his ears attentive to your prayer. In this case, it's attached to this call to seek peace and pursue it. You can't seek or pursue without making movement, without engaging, without there being some kind of an attempt to go from one place to the next in order to obtain that which you're looking for. And in this case, that which we are looking for is peace. There's a few things that can get in the way of peace. I want to list these things here and offer them to you as we move through the Word this morning. And I think these things are really important to make note of. Some of these things really hit home to me because I'm bad at them. Now, if you hear one of those, don't be ashamed or embarrassed. Just realize that perhaps today is the day where we grow and mature. Or maybe we stop being bad at that. This one I'm particularly bad at. Here's one of the areas that can be a, a hindrance to peace. It's like the lack of boundaries. I have terrible boundaries. My wife is always telling me, like, you need some boundaries with that. And, and I don't know why. Maybe it's a personality thing. I'm not sure what it is, but I tend to maybe give more slack than should be given in certain situations and circumstances, and, and that results in uh, uh, some kind of loss or some kind of frustration that could have been prevented had there been some healthy boundary. Here's a couple of passages of Scripture as it concerns peace and boundaries, and as you read these, I, I think it makes perfect sense that, wow, peace and boundaries kind of go hand in hand. In fact, here's one for you, uh, Psalm 147:14. God makes peace within your boundaries. What if I don't have any boundaries? What if my boundaries are, are way off? What if they're non-existent? How can there be peace made if there's no boundaries? Here's another passage of scripture. It's from Isaiah, Isaiah 60, verse 18. It says, Violence won't be heard within your land, uh, nor devastation or destruction within your boundaries. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates peace. It's pretty interesting to see this, that there's this, this uh, revelation of the presence of peace where there's boundaries, where there's a, an attempt to set up some sort of, of dividing line between what is good and bad or what's righteous and unrighteous, what's healthy and unhealthy, so that it doesn't just all run together into some mess that accomplishes nothing. I've accomplished a whole lot of nothing on a number of things before because of the lack of boundaries. And it has greatly touched my peace. And here's another thing that will get in the way of peace, right? Revenge. 
I mean, it can be a personality trait where someone's just kind of naturally vindictive. Maybe they're a little hot-headed or something, and, you know, it's what they call tit-for-tat, or however you want to say it, uh, can tell you it's going to be problematic as it concerns peace. Let me give you a passage of Scripture here, Romans 12. I want to read 17 and 18 to you. It says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That means never take revenge. It says this, if at all possible... As long as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. It gets real quiet when you read passages of Scripture like that. It's not in our nature to take a passage of Scripture like that and apply it to our lives. It is in our nature to hear that and think, well, yes, I agree with that. Good, sir. Hallelujah. God bless you. Amen. Hmm. The reality is when we get hurt, we want to hurt back. When someone pushes, we want to push back. When someone yells, we want to yell back. When someone bows up, we want to bow up harder and stronger and put them in their place, which is beneath us. That is that carnal nature. It's very anti-Christ. Our call is to not be like that, to, to lay down this desire for vengeance. And when we lay down the desire for vengeance, what we open up is the door for God to vindicate, for God to go to war on our behalf. When we refuse to defend ourselves, we open up the door for God to be our defense. And I found that to be true in my life, both by doing it right and by doing it wrong. Uh, here's another one. This one is an interesting one. This one is one that I think is a little more like hit or miss. Like you'll read it and for some people it'll be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. You'll read it and other people will think like, well, he's kind of stretching his notes a little bit. Confusion. Confusion. Here's a passage of scripture for you. It'll make sense when we read this. 1 Corinthians 14.33. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Pretty interesting contrast there, right? I mean, like, if I were to say God is not a God of darkness, but a God of light. Yeah, or, you know, God is not a God of bad, but a God of yeah, so you'd be thinking opposites, right? We're talking about absolute contrast here, right? What an amazing thing to contrast confusion with. That the opposite of confusion wouldn't be organization. It wouldn't be like, oh, he's a little OCD, right? Good hand washing, social distancing, you know, cover your mouth when you... But the, this opposite of confusion would be peace. What an interesting thing. And it makes me realize that confusion in this case is meant to be more as in chaos, not just things being just out of order in general, but things being completely without any control. Now you take a passage of Scripture like this, and it can actually be really effective. You can take it into your prayer life. Father, I know today there are going to be a number of things that are out of my control. A number of things that are chaotic and a number of things that will be subject to confusion. And I know that you are not the God of confusion, but you are the God of peace. Let your peace prevail in both my heart and my mind. And let it be revealed in my actions in all of these things. Pretty good prayer, huh? You take passages like that and apply them. Uh, here's another thing that will hinder, you know, peace being pursued in our lives. Anxiety. Now, we all deal with anxiety, and anyone who's got a television and turns it on can see that there's, you know, a pill for all kinds of stuff to deal with people's anxiety. It tells you it's a cultural issue. It's a massive problem that people face, so much so that it's an industry to deal with it. 
a multi-billion dollar industry to deal with it. Entire pharmaceutical companies thrive and are formed based on handling this issue that everyone deals with, which is not saying that it can't be ministered to in that way. What I'm saying is it's common. And when we look at something that's common like that, we ought to turn to the scripture and say, Father, this is a common issue. What can I do to see to it that it doesn't affect me negatively? Here's a passage of scripture as it concerns peace and anxiety being a preventer of it. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, I want to read verses 6 and 7. It starts with this, be anxious for nothing. Well, easy for you to say, right? Do you have my problems and my issues? Do you get my mail? Do you get my phone calls? Now we keep reading to see where it's going with this because we've already been confronted with the idea that we're not supposed to be anxious and for some of us, that's a tall order. For me, it's a tall order. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Now, if we're not careful, we can read through that and come to a place where we've educated ourselves in the word, but we've not equipped ourselves to apply. And that's a problem because what you do is you'll come to a point where you know that that's how it's supposed to be, but yet that's not how it is. So the only way you can justify that is by saying it doesn't work. I know people that have applied that way. I've myself done it, and I've seen it in all my two decades of pastoring. Well, pastor, I tried that and it didn't work. Now, what we need to understand is the word of God doesn't work sometimes for some people and not for others. The reality is when we look at this passage of scripture, we have to understand, God, what are you saying here? Because you're offering this wonderful thing, the peace uh, that surpasses all comprehension and understanding. That means it transcends what I see and what I feel. It's so far beyond the problems that are right in front of me that being uh, uh, free from affecting my heart and my mind, all because Jesus is protecting me. I want that. But if I'm sitting around and I'm worried, then I don't have that. When I see this passage of Scripture, I see something that's really important, and I'll just tell you what stands out to me. I'm not telling you that it will do the same for you, but I think it will because I believe there's a reason why it does stand out to me. If somebody were to ask me, hey, Pastor Preston, what do you think the most important word in that whole passage is? If you could only highlight one word in that passage, what would you highlight? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's really hard to be anxious when you're grateful. Try it. It's hard to be fearful when you're giving thanks. It's hard to suffer worry and doubt and all the things that anxiety is rooted in when you're in the midst of gratitude. And in that passage of scripture, I can read that and I could get focused on prayer and I could get focused on supplication. And you know what that'll lead? That'll lead to sore knees. That's me on my knees in prayer, but I'm still worried out of my mind because the things I'm praying about are the things I'm worried about. But how about this? How about, hey, I'm going to come to you in prayer and not talk to you about my problems, but I'm going to give thanks for the stuff that you've blessed me with. Yeah, that's the amen right there. You got it. 
I'm not going to sit here and go for hours stirring up my anxiety, talking about all the garbage that's threatening me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to come before you and I'm going to start to praise and worship and give thanks for all that you've blessed me with. And before you know it, there's no room for anxiety, all because of thanksgiving. And then here's something that will prevent peace in our lives, and that's wickedness. Now, wickedness is not just sin. Sin can happen. You know, I mean, things happen. We, we, we fail. We have issues and challenges where we make poor decisions, sometimes with good intentions, sometimes out of sheer rebellion. But wickedness comes at a, uh, at a place where you just decide, I'm going to do it my way no matter what. And it opens up the door for really gross stuff, and it closes the door to wonderful things, wonderful things like peace. That's why passages of Scripture can read like this, and they're true. Isaiah 48, 22, there's no peace for the wicked. Interesting thing to say, right? I mean, it doesn't even say, like, there will be judgment for the wicked, right? We wouldn't have any trouble with that passage. We'd say, yeah, that's true. But as it concerns the wicked, what's being revealed here is there's no, there's no peace for them. Here's another passage of scripture from the psalm, Psalm 119, 165. Uh, Those that, that love your word, they have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. And then Proverbs 16, 7, it reads like this. When a man's ways are ple- pleasing to the Lord, excuse me, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, passages of Scripture like this are really poetic and inspirational to read, but I want to see their application. I mean, I want to take that into my prayer life. I do have men who, who wish me ill. They, they are challenging or they want to see me fail. There are things like that in my life. There's competition or there's people that feel they've been wronged or there's people that are offended or there's, pe- there's all kinds of things like that. I want to take a passage of Scripture like this and apply it. I want to take it and I want to ask God, Father, I want to be in a place where my ways are so pleasing to you that even those who want my demise and my destruction will have to bow down and bring peace. I want that doorway open. It's a really wonderful thing to consider. And then we recall the, the purpose behind all of this. The reason why peace would enter into our life. Not just so that we can feel good or we can be protected from fear or anxiety, but so that we can have victory. I want to close with the same passage that we opened with. The idea that the God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath our feet. That he would identify himself as the God of peace and then that he would promise this ultimate victory. And it begins to bear witness with what Jesus would say. Now I told you when we were going through the things that we would find that we're going to find out what Jesus left you. We're going to close with that. If you have your Bibles, you'll find it in the Gospel of John. I want to look at John 14, 27. Jesus is talking about going away, about being with the Father, meaning that the Holy Spirit would be poured out and that we would walk in the, the presence of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus goes out of his way to reveal to us something very important something that's worth noting and and pursuing. God, I want to know this and understand it. If it's so important that Jesus left it behind for me, I not only want to have it and embrace it, but I want to understand it and apply it. 
John 14, 27, Jesus is speaking to you and he says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but as I give. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to Scripture. There are things that I'll see, and some things will stand out, and some things will, will, will be emphasized, and I might interpret it a little different. But when I read this passage of Scripture, there are things that stand out, and there are things that are interpreted. When Jesus speaks to me and says, Preston, peace, I leave you, not as the world leaves, but as I leave. I give this peace to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let your heart be fearful. It's real easy to get distracted by this wonderful gift of peace that Jesus is living. But you want to know what I hear first and foremost? Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be fearful. That tells me trouble and fear in my heart is a choice. I can either let it or I can stop it. But I am never subject to it unless I choose to be. That is the blood-bought identity that I have as a Christian. I am not subject to fear unless I choose to bow my knee to it. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not let your heart be fearful. And then I see the reason why. Because peace I leave you. Not as the world gives, which is compromised, by the way. But as I give, which is perfect, without compromise. That which transcends and transforms situations and circumstances. It doesn't bend and mold and flex and yield in order to create an agreeable situation in which all parties can walk away pleasant. But rather, Jesus wins. He simply takes over and wins. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. It's that idea, it's that truth that I think ultimately needs to invade our prayer life. Jesus, peace you promised to leave me, not as the world leaves. I want that peace. What you identified in the scripture as your peace. I want that. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to have illusions of peace. I don't want there to be temporary whitewashing of situation or circumstance. I don't want there to be some uh, empty gratification that just kind of draws my attention away from my problems. But rather, I want the promise that you made that I would have your peace. And that it would surpass all understanding. It's what I want. So that that peace would have its results in me. All the wonderful results that we would read about. And all the promises that would be attached to it. I want to pray for us this morning. That's really the prayer. I want to ask God to do these things on our behalf. No greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I don't believe there's any greater need in the room than the need for peace. I think every man, woman, and child in this place has their peace under assault at a constant state. 
always being attacked, always being threatened. I want to pray for us. You're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement, a state of uh, receiving, however you choose. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your covenant of peace. Let it be revealed to us in detail, beyond that which we understand right now. And let the depths and the wonders of your faithfulness with your covenant continue to lead us to thanksgiving and praise and worship. Let peace prevail in our hearts and in our minds. Let it not simply be a a state of comfort, but let it be a, a state of fellowship with Jesus Christ. That as he promised to give his peace, we would receive it directly from him. Let it not be something that we pick up along the way, but let it be something that is shared in real time. As he said, take my yoke on you, for it is easy and it is light. Let us take his yoke upon us and share in his peace in every aspect of our living. And let us be grateful that we wouldn't come to you and pray about our problems, but that we would surrender those problems to you and then begin to declare your goodness and your favor and all that we have to be grateful for. Let thanksgiving rise among the saints and let it drive out fear and anxiety and make room for peace. Let peace prevail in our hearts and in our minds, just as your word would promise. We give you thanks that you would identify us with peace. We rejoice in you and receive that identity for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. I want to share this with you before we dismiss because I think this is important. When Jesus is preaching a message that we call the Beatitudes, he says something and I think it's really worth noting as it concerns peace. He talks about people that will produce peace with their life. And he's talking about you and he's talking about me. And he says, it's important that you know this. That blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God. When we walk in peace, we reveal who God is to those around us. We look like him. We sound like him. We act like him. That's the call that we have upon our lives as Christians, to be just like him. It's the reason why Jesus would say, I give you my peace, so that we can do the things that look just like him and sound just like him. And that's the call that's upon us. It's a wonderful thing to consider. It's not just a thought to leave you with, but it's an impartation and a blessing. May the Lord bless you to think like he thinks, to speak like he speaks to feel as he feels, to be his sons and daughters here in the earth, making peace just as he would make peace. That's the call on your life. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.